Unity Community of Central Oregon's podcast featuring Reverend Jane Hyatt. Good morning. Welcome to our Cathedral of the Pines. My talk this morning, The Sacred Path to Beyond Stories. Well, what does that mean? Our brains are incredible computers, aren't they? They can do all kinds of things. And think of all the memories that we store. There's just endless what, what our memories can hold. And as we store these memories and hold on to them, we make judgments about them, don't we? And some of them are really great judgments, like being in the Cathedral of the Pines, and, and some of them aren't quite so comfortable, are they? And sometimes we have stories, and little stories, not big stories, not big earth-shattering stories, but little stories in our life, where when we think back, we either did something we're not quite proud of, or maybe we didn't do something, and we're not quite proud of that. And you ever feel that, and you, you get that little squirm inside that you wish you'd have done it different? Or maybe you hear a story from someone else, and they're telling you their story, and you see that it's uncomfortable for them too. Or maybe you tell a story about something that happened to you, and the squirm is about something that you felt was done to you, and it doesn't feel good. These little stories we think are little, but I believe they're not. Because we have so many thousands and hundreds of thousands of these stories, and how we choose to hold them in our memories create our character and create the default of how we look on life. Now, when we come to church, we remember, oh, everything is wonderful and everything is well. But when you go home sometimes, do you forget that? I do. And that's why they're important to remember and work with to see if we can't lighten the load, shall we say, and create a, a character that we're personally proud of. I was counting the days, it was 41 years ago when I, took, uh, when I started learning to fly. And after my first solo, we start working on cross-country procedures, navigation. And uh, so I did the ground school for cross-country. Uh, my instructor and I went over all the procedures, and then we actually fly, fly one. Now, cross-country doesn't actually mean you're flying cross-country. It means anything over 50 miles. So we did a dual cross-country together where I plan he taught me how to plan it out. We actually flew it. We went to another airport, and then we came home. And then it's time for me to do a solo cross-country. This one was longer, and it included uh, three, three legs. So I flew to two different airports before I came home again. And so I spent hours plotting it all out and making sure it was perfect. And then showed it to my instructor, and he verified, okay, this is all good information. It was going to take me four hours and ten minutes to do all three legs and come home, and uh, I had five hours and 15 minutes worth of fuel. So I'm good. You know, 
need, a, need spare fuel when you're flying. And so off I went on my solo cross country, and I flew on up to my first airport, and it all pr went pretty well. Um, there were some winds that slowed me down a little bit, but it was fine. I landed there, and then what we do as students is we have to land at the other airport and we have to search someone out. It can be someone in a flight school, it could be someone walking by on the sidewalk, and we ask them to sign our logbook, and that's our proof to our instructor that we actually went to our destination. And so I got the signature, and then I took off again for the second leg of my journey, and this was to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And on my way to Sioux Falls, oh, the headwinds came up. And it was bumpy and bouncy. And I kept looking, and, and we, have, we create checkpoints on our map to make sure we're on course and we're on time. And I'm reaching my checkpoints later and later and later. So I know I've got really big headwinds. So finally, I make it to Sioux Falls and land and go ahead and, and get my signature. And then I call the flight service station to file my flight plan. Now, Flight Service Station, among one of the things they do is they track us. So when I call them up, I give them the pertinent information of aircraft number, even the color, departure airport, destination airport, time en route, fuel en route, and then, um, then I take off. And after takeoff, I open my flight plan. Now, the reason we do this is because then if I don't land at my destination and close my flight plan, they go looking for me. So it's a really nice thing to do. So I'm giving the flight service station all my information. I said, okay, um, departure is Sioux Falls. Des destination is Flying Cloud. Thank you. Uh, in Minneapolis. And I have... Uh, one hour and 10 minutes of fuel, and I have one hour and 10 minutes of flight time. And the flight says, let me get this straight, he says. You have one hour and 10 minutes to fly, and you have one hour. And I said, oh, no, no, including my hour of spare. And he goes, okay, so you have two hours and 10 minutes of fuel. And I said, yeah, that's right. So off I go. I take off. I'm climbing out. And as I'm climbing out, you know, students, you get a little nervous, right? And I'm climbing out, going... I did have those headwinds. My original plan was to have an hour of spare. And you know what? I don't think I have that hour of spare anymore. What am I going to do? And I got to thinking, I'm going, I don't have any spare at all. So I turned around and I looked behind me and I thought, well, I'll just go back to Sioux Falls and I'll get some more fuel. And I turned around and I looked. And behind me, I could see the airport kind of in the distance now. And I could also see the sun setting, and it's getting kind of cl uncomfortably close to the horizon, and I hadn't had my night flying lessons yet. I didn't know how to land at night. So, can you believe I was stressed? Oh no, what am I going to do here? I don't know what to do. What am I going to do now? Have you ever been in that situation where you go, I don't know what to do. I've never been in this situation before. What am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, drive faster. That's a good idea. That's right, wing it. Take your chances. Maybe you'll make it. <laughs> no, we don't think like that in aviation. And <laughs> and I'll tell you, I don't tell this. I for a long time, I did not tell this story much. Can you guess why? 
Because <laughs> I thought I put myself in a pretty tricky situation and I was not proud. I was ashamed of myself. Pilots don't do that. And so I painted me as the bad guy in the situation. Have you ever done that in your life where you have painted yourself really, really as the bad guy? And someone else goes, no, you're not, but you don't believe it. That's what I did. And how many times do we do that in life? <laughs> My girlfriend, Vicki, we've been best friends since age three. <laughs> and she is just a marvelous friend. And she told me a, a story one time where she had, uh, her husband had a new job and he had to use his own credit card for expenses. And then every month on the 15th, the company would pay back his expenses and then he could pay off the credit card. So she ordered a new credit card because the due date was the 25th. That gave her plenty of time for the company to pay them and then she could pay off the credit card. First month, come, the, the bill comes, and they changed the due date to the 10th. So she thinks, oh, no, I've got to work with this. So do you know this one? You call up, and then please enter your account number. Please enter your PIN. Look around the papers and find the PIN. And then finally, you, you get to the, the voice recording that says, your business is important to us. Please stand on the line while the next customer service agent will be with you. So she waited in the music, and then finally, after a while, someone came on and asked for her account number again. You know that one? And you, like, you want to say, I just gave it to you. And so she talked to the customer. She says, listen, I need... I, I, wanted this credit card because it was due on the 25th. You guys changed it. I need it changed back. And the customer service agent says, oh, yeah, no problem. We can do that. And made a few strokes in the computer and got it changed. And a problem, right? Till next month comes along, and it was due on the 10th again. Well, now she's got to go through it again. So grab that paper and dial the number and account number. Pin, please stay on the line. We are, your call is very important to us. <laughs> Don't you feel like it's really important when you hear that? And then she gets put on hold. You know, you wait and wait on the music, and then you hear the click. And she heard the click, and uh, it was the dial tone. They hung her up. So now she's got to do it again. So she grabs it, she punches it all again, and she's pin, and, and your call is very important to us. Finally, a customer service agent comes on. She says, and he asks for her account number. I gave it to you already, she says. And he says, well, what can I do for you? Well, you changed my due date, and uh, I needed to be changed to the 25th. And he responded with, well, lady, if you would pay your bill on time, we wouldn't have this problem. So it escalated. They're yelling at each other. And Vicki really wanted to slam that phone down and hang up on this guy. But she stopped and said, I got to turn this around. I need this credit card, and I don't need 
them to give me any negative reports on my credit. What am I going to do here? I've got to turn this around. Have you ever been in that situation where you knew you had to turn something around and you didn't want to, but you had to find a way anyway? Now, how do you think I painted her in this story? She's my friend. I'm loyal. I knew exactly the experience she was going through, and I felt for her. And even though she might have started it, I didn't care about that. She was just being human. I painted her in a very, very beautiful light. And maybe unfairly, because I don't give myself that kind of, kind of slack, do I? Then there was a time when I grew, I grew up in Minnesota, and every uh, summer we would do all of our vacations in Boundary Waters Canoe Area. Anyone familiar with Boundary Waters? Ah, it's magical, isn't it? It's beautiful. You get in a canoe, you put all of your camping gear in the canoe, and you paddle to the end of the lake. You get to the end of the lake, you pick up all your stuff, carry it to the next lake, then you carry the canoe to the next lake, put everything back in, and paddle again. It's called portaging. And we would portage a couple of times, and you really get into the middle of nowhere where it's just pristinely beautiful. The sky is so blue, it looks painted. There's loons. We used to sit every evening on the rocks on the edge of the lake, and we would listen to the loon concert, we called it, because a loon would call on this end of the lake, and then pretty soon a loon would answer at the other end of the lake. And that was our evening concert every night. And there were eagles, and it was just wonderful. And there's a whole couple bears up there. Now, bears normally are fairly afraid of humans. But these guys, maybe not so much, because they learned a long time ago that some of the campers that came up there didn't know what to do with their food properly. So they knew it was worth trying to get your food. It, what we'd do is we'd uh, put a pole between two trees and throw a rope over it and pull our, our packs up with all the food in it and hang them from the two trees and tie them to the side and even tie some tin cans to the rope. So if you could hear, you could hear the bears trying to get at that rope. Well, many's the night. We'd be in our tent and we'd hear those tin cans and my dad would reach under his pillow and grab his gun and out he would go and chase off the bears and maybe even light a fire to keep the, fire, the bears gone. And finally he'd come back in the tent and then we could all breathe a sigh of relief and go back to sleep. Well, one camping trip, we headed out and we would go fishing every afternoon. We came back from our fishing and the bear had been there. It was very obvious. There were big scratch marks on the tree where he had, he had tried to get at the rope that was tying the pack up. And he'd come pretty close. Wasn't able to it. So we, okay, that's good. The next day we go off fishing, come back, and the bear had been there again. And he'd gotten closer this time. And now the, the rope was looking pretty frayed. And we're thinking, hmm. And my dad says, you know, the bear's got our routine already. He already knows to come in the afternoon. Normally they come at night. But this guy had figured us out and said, okay, if I come in the afternoon, I've got clear sailing to try to get their food. So he says, maybe we better not go fishing. Well, I had an idea because I didn't like to go fishing. With my dad, he required absolute silence 
in the boat at all times. <laughs> and I'm a kid. I don't want to be silent. I want to move around. Don't move. You'll scare the fish. Don't bump the boat. Don't talk. So I thought, I know how I can get out of fishing. So I said, Dad, how about if I stay back here in the campsite, and then the bear won't come, and then you guys can go fishing? And he says, no, no, I don't think so, you know. Um, not by yourself. And I said, no, I won't be by, by myself. I will have the dogs. We have two Springer Spaniels. And I'll have the dogs here. So th they said, oh, okay. So off they went and they went fishing. And I was really happy about that. And I went to the water's edge and I was playing in the water at the edge, turning over a rock, seeing what would wiggle out from underneath the rock and smelling the water. Now, this water has the most beautiful scent for those of you who've been to Boundary Waters. It's very minerally, the smell of the water, and it has this mossy scent, too. So I was just enjoying that and smell, and breathing it in, and all of a sudden, I smelled a bear. Have it, does everyone know what a bear smells like? Have you ever smelled a bear? It smells like a garbage dump. <laughs> and once you have smelled what a bear smells like, you never forget it. So here I am, smelling the bear, going... Oh no, it never occurred to me the bear might come anyway. What am I going to do? And the answer was, I don't know. Have you ever been in that situation where you absolutely don't know what to do? Just, I don't know. And I was thinking to myself, who do you suppose got the bad crap in this one? My dad. What was he doing leaving a kid with, on an island where a bear might show up by herself? I think I was like eight. So, of course, my dad got the bad rap. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks, honey. And so, don't we do that? We paint, paint whole judgments, and it paints a whole yeah. picture on how you remember that story. And sometimes it's realistic, sometimes it's not. A couple weeks ago, I just got back from Scottsdale, Arizona, where I took an advanced course in neurolinguistics. And while we were there, we were asked to remember some stories and relate our stories. And they didn't have to be big stories, just stories, because we were to look for the meaning behind them. And so I thought, okay. I'm just gonna let whatever story pops up. And I came, with, came up with the stories I have told you. And I had no trouble thinking of the meaning behind them. And then we were asked to look for what was the inspiration behind it. And again, I could do that. But you know what, with all these stories, even after I had searched and found the inspiration, the squirm was still there even for, either for myself or for my family. And how often do we do that? We create the, these patterns. And as I looked at these stories, I'd thought about it before, but I put it together in a deeper fashion, these patterns of, okay, when, I, when something happens and I don't think I performed very well, I am very harsh on myself. Anyone know what that feels like? And when something happens with a friend, boy, I, I cut them all the slack in the world. I love them. I'm loyal to them. No problem. 
And then when it comes to family, when we're growing up, boy, I felt like the victim sometimes. Anyone can relate to that? I see some hands. I'm not alone, am I? Yeah. And these patterns sometimes are valuable. Because sometimes you look at the squirm and you go, okay, maybe there's something here I need to clean up. Maybe there's an apology to be made, something I need to do. So sometimes that serves a really wonderful purpose. And sometimes it's just a memory that makes me want to say, okay, I learned from that, I will never do it again. But if I actually believed that, the squirm should go away, should it not? Yeah. Because beneath these stories is the universal energy that all we are is love. And when we get past all those stories, when we get to singing in the cathedral here, do you remember that all you are is love? It's easy now. It's not so easy some of the other times. So here I was, doing my solo cross country. Flying along going, uh-oh, what am I going to do now? I got to do something. I look behind me, there's airports too far away. Sun, it's getting low, what am I going to do? And I can't go forward because I might not make it to my des destination. What am I going to do? Okay, can't do that, can't do that. I grabbed my chart, looked at airport. Now in Minnesota, there's tons of tiny towns everywhere. And nearly all of them have airports. So I looked along on the chart. I found an airport, looked up the frequency, flew in, landed, got my fuel, took off again as fast as I could, and off I went. And I was able to land at my destination airport in Minneapolis just right at dusk. And boy, I was nervous, but I did it before dark. And so I was so thankful that I did that and proud that I was, uh, that I was able to do that but still ashamed. The squirm was still there. And then there was Vicki. Remember? She's got to turn it around. She's gone through all this frustration, this customer service. They've been yelling at each other. And she said, hang on just a second here. And she took a deep breath. She says, what can I do to turn this around? And she had an idea. And she put the phone back to her mouth. And she said, in her best little girl voice, nobody's got a cute little girl voice like Vicki. And she said, I have a great idea. I said, what? She says, let's just pretend, just for a second, let's just pretend I'm the customer. And she laughed. <laughs> and he laughed. And it broke that negative energy. And they were able to, uh, and they were able to work it out. And once that negative energy broke, they were able to talk it through. And not only did he solve her problem, he says, just give me a minute here. And I'm going to do a couple more computer keystrokes here to make sure this never happens to you again. And it was a happy ending to the story. And I paid no attention to the fact that she actually helped escalate the frustration in the beginning. All I remembered of the story is 
She was smart. She knew how to fix it. And I was so impressed with her brilliance. Well, you know, and then we were back at the bear. Here I am at the edge of the lake, turning over the rocks, smelling the bear, going, oh, no. What are you going to do? I don't know. I was just a kid. I couldn't jump in the lake and swim. Bears swim really well. Can't get away from them that way. I can't run. He can certainly run faster than me. Certainly can't climb a tree because they climb quite well too. What am I going to do? And the answer in my mind was, I don't know. I truly didn't know. There's a magical thing when you actually get to that point where your brain says, I don't know. And so my brain just checked out and my body took over. And you know what I did? I started jumping up and down. Now, if you talked to a bear expert on how to, how to get away from bears, and they gave you a hundred good ideas, do you suppose jumping up and down would be in there? Nope. But I knew something they didn't. No, because I can't get that big. I was just a kid. But what I knew was that when me and my brothers played with dogs and we jumped up and down, it would make them bark. So I jumped up and down, and my dog started barking. And I go, oh, good, it's working. So I jumped up and down harder, and they started barking frenzied. And I'm jumping up and down and going, and finally, I don't smell the bear anymore. It worked. It worked. I guess I did, because here I am to tell about it. <laughs> and yet, I felt bad about that, that my parents would do that to me. And so I got the squirm inside. And you know those squirms, they come up at the weirdest times. You never know when a story's going to pop into your head, and there it is. Now think of your memories. We think in 3D. We picture in 3D. Because, you know, think of any picture in your mind, and there's somebody or something in the foreground and something in the, in the background, right? So I thought to myself, okay, this is 3D, but I'm remembering these memories. And one of the things we know about neurolinguistics is how we hold our memories has everything to do with how we feel about them. So I thought, okay, I'm going to change this. I'm going to just try. And so I thought, in 3D, if you shine a light from an angle on anything 3D, you're going to get big shadows on the other side. And I thought, okay, maybe I'm creating shadows because I'm not seeing this straight. So I literally pretended to put my picture of these stories up on the wall, and I took my fake light, and I moved it from the side till I was straight on looking at that picture. And it worked. All of a sudden, rather than judgments, I saw it in the light of love. I saw it for what it truly was. And in my cross-country situation, when I was kicking myself and being ashamed and not telling anybody about this situation I'd got myself in, all of a sudden I went, without having to drudge it up, my mind said, you were just a student. You were learning. 
And as a matter of fact, after I landed and told my flight instructor what had happened, he goes, oh, sorry, we forgot to give you the gas card just in case you needed some. And that could have helped my, 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 um, my experience if I had known that. But I was being so hard on myself. And I'm a student. I had 25 hours of flight time. I was just learning. And rather than judging myself, I now could sit in the joy of going, and nobody taught me the situation. And nobody taught me what to do, and I handled it. And I felt good instead of bad. And then with my girlfriend, Vicki, I could see that I cut her all the slack in the world. And maybe I deserve a little bit more. And then with the bear story, I looked, I, and I had, to be honest, that was the toughest one. I had to really pick up that light and move it because we really make harsh judgments when we feel like we're being victimized, don't we? And those affect us deeply. So I moved that light and I looked at it. And instead of seeing my parents in somewhat of an abusive light, I saw the truth of it. The truth of it was that it never crossed their minds the bear would come back either. They never would have done that. And I don't recall their, their reaction when they came back from fishing. But I'm sure they were appalled that they had put me in that situation. And so instead of seeing myself as abused, I saw my parents as people that just made a mistake like everyone else. And the judgment then was gone. I wasn't a victim. They weren't victimizers. It just is something that happened. And I realized after looking at all, all these stories, I said to myself, you know what, Robin? You're okay. You're really okay. You're being human. You're going to have phobias and mistakes. And that's just part of being human. And that's okay. And then I said in that, then, well, if I'm okay, what else is possible? Well, here I handled some situations. Haven't you handled some pretty cool situations where you, did, you got creative and it, it turned out really well? So I said to myself, you've got great stuff in you. And that is what is possible when we look at these tiny stories, because there's millions of them. And think about, in your own stories, think about any stories that pop up where you're getting that squirm and you really don't want it and you try to push it away, but it doesn't quite go. Think about that in your own life. And think about how you might pick up your imaginary light of love and move it to a different angle so that not only has your brain decided it's different, but your insides feel different. Because that's when it really shifts for you. Not when you just think it differently, because then you have to keep reminding yourself. But when you feel it differently, it sticks with you. And there's so many little stories. They go on and on and on. And you think, it's just little, it's not important. But that's not true. If I got in my airplane and I said, okay, I'm just going to fly a couple degrees off court. It's not much, it's not important. And I fly for 500 miles, what's going to happen? I'm only two degrees off course. But after 500 miles, where am I going to be? I won't even be in the same state I had planned to land in, would I? So those little stories aren't so little when there is a lot of them. If you 
put one drop of water in your hand. You see, that's just a little drop of water. But if you take enough billions upon trillions of, of little drops of water, just like our memories, you've got an ocean. And that's no longer small, is it? So little stories have great impact on how we look at ourselves and life. So they're not little anymore. And they frame the big stories, the big, big happenings in our life, good or bad. They really frame how we see those. <laughs> Ever been to a fancy restaurant and you order a big juicy steak? Sorry for those of you who are vegetarian. But you order a big juicy steak and it comes out and they put the plate down in front of you. And they don't put anything with it, just the steak all by itself. No vegetables, no potatoes, no artfully drizzled sauces, <laughs> not even any little parsley. Steak doesn't look very good, does it? Probably, to be honest, it probably doesn't even taste as good. So the little stories are like all the things around the steak, they frame our lives. And so if we work on the little stories, the big stories that we've been struggling for a long time on, get helped out too. So who would you be as a person if you saw yourself in a truly, truly loving light, even when you didn't perform like you thought you should? And if you did that and thought of yourself in a loving light, what kind of decisions do you suppose you'd make in the future if you truly loved yourself and loved the world? It might change, huh? So it truly is a sacred path of working with the little stories because when we find our highest and best and we get past the stories and the squirm, we experience our soul. And then we remember that we truly are love. There's nothing more. All you are is love. Pure love. True love. Nothing more. And when you're in that space, and remember that you are love, and you look out at the world, what do you see? but love. And you look at other people, even making mistakes, maybe even big ones, and all you see is love. Because isn't that who we truly, truly are? So I don't know where you'll be as you leave here, and I don't know what you'll be doing when a little story might pop into your head and you feel that telltale little squirm. Or I don't know who you'll be talking to and either telling a story or hearing a story and you either feel the squirm or you see it in others. That is a now an invitation to pick up your imaginary light of love and move and look at those stories from a new angle because miracles are possible. It's never too late. Remember those bumper stickers that were around for a while? I saw them on cars. It says, it's never too late to have a happy childhood. Well, I always thought they were talking about big 
therapy and changing things and all that. And now I see, no, 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 no. It's about loving the little stories and not loving because I'm forcing myself, but loving because it just happens in me. So go ahead. Take that sacred path, that sacred journey. Go where no judgments of memories have gone before. <laughs> and remember, all you are is love.